Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together here at the Digital Cathedral. Hope you have your coffee ready, your Bible ready, and you have a wide open mind and a heart this morning because I'm probably going to rock your world in some things that I'm going to say this morning. So I just want you to listen closely, listen all the way to the end, make sure you get the impact of the full teaching this morning. In fact, if you haven't listened to last week's teaching, I want to dovetail onto what I taught last week concerning prayer. Prayer is one of the most frequently asked questions that I have through Messenger, through my, um, my Facebook friends, through Don Keithley ministry page. I get a lot of private messages about how do we pray now that we have an understanding of grace and the finished work, unconditional love of the Father. How, with this new understanding, how do, how do we pray? So we're gonna, we're gonna get a little bit deeper into that this morning. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week, don't, don't leave now, stay with me and listen to this to the very end, then go back and listen to last week. And then if you need to listen to this week and let the two come together for you. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some things a little deeper than we did last week, but I do suggest that you go back and you listen to it. All right, last week we talked about prayer uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, you know the verse, it's very familiar. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I think to experience that abundant life, which, which actually is a recognition of your divinity, that's the abundant life. To really experience that abundant life that makes your identity divinity, one of the chief ways that it's exposed to us and conveyed to us from the Father is through this time of prayer. And so we talked last week a little bit about the connector that prayer has between acknowledging or embracing your divinity and actually experiencing it or walking it out. Now let me say that again. Prayer is a connector or it's a, um, an acknowledgement between embracing your divinity and actually walking the divinity out. So prayer is connects connects the spirit with the natural. That's, there you go, that's what I wanted to say. Prayer connects the spirit or, uh, you know, the acknowledging, the embracing of your divinity. As you, as you become exposed internally, the Father begins to reveal to you and prayer then helps you to assimilate it into your daily life as you walk it out. But not the kind of prayer that we were taught to pray. And last week I went through, and this is one reason I wanted you to listen to last week if you have it. I went through 12, 11, 12 different kinds of prayer. I can't remember exactly the number. I think it might've been 11 kinds of prayer that I used to pray. I, spent, I was a prayer. I spent a lot of time in prayer. And I had a prayer room in my church that was totally devoted to prayer. A lot of corporate prayer, that's one type. There was prayer and fasting, uh, praying scripture, intercessory prayer, prayer supplication. All of those different kinds of prayers spiritual warfare. I mean, we could go on and on. I used to go with Larry Lee, could you not tarry one hour? And I took the Lord's Prayer and prayed every segment of it, uh, broke it down, and that took an hour to go through. Uh, we prayed all those kind of things. And do you know what I found? I found that it really is pretty exhausting. It didn't really avail much. And this morning, I want to tell you why maybe it didn't work out like we thought we were taught. We were taught that prayer would bring the results. But I want to tell you something this morning. You already possess the results. So prayer is not where we push into the Father expecting Him to do something for us. So it's not the kind of prayer that we practiced or became accustomed to in our religious upbringing and all the years that we spent in church. 
the prayer that releases your divinity into experience, into um, experientially being able to, to, to practice your true identity, your authentic identity, is, is really communion. That's probably the closest word that I could come up with that would, that would define what actual prayer really is, the, prayer, the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a recognition, it's, it's, a, it's a communion. What I mean by communion, it's a sharing between you and the Father of intimate thoughts and ideas, expressing your feelings, your concerns. It's a, it's a dialogue that's carried on between a father and a son, and you're the son, he's the father. And so you, you have an intimate connection with him through communion. That's what prayer is. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a recognition of everything that God is. When you come into prayer, if you, don't, if you don't know what to pray, when you start to pray, just meditate on how big God is. Just let your mind expand as far as it can go on how big God is. And however big you think he is, he wants you to know that as he is, you is. Now, I'm not saying you're the whole ocean. I'm not saying you're God, all right? I'm not saying you're the creator of the universe, but I'm saying that if he's the ocean, you're a cup out of the ocean. That everything, all of the characteristics, everything that, that he has, you have also. And as we walk through this this morning, I hope that I, I'm able to, to stretch you a little bit. I hope I, I rock your world, as I said at the very beginning, about what we really have and how we can pray to achieve and to see what God really has for us. So as we understand how infinitely unlimited he is, that he is the God of all things are possible, and that that's his nature. When we do that and we begin to just expand on him, that's why I said sometimes the best thing you can do in prayer is just begin to meditate on how big God is. Because once you get an idea of how infinite he is, you begin to fully recognize the image and the likeness that you're developing into through this process that we call life. And last week I gave you a what if. I said, what if when we transition from this level of consciousness to a higher level of consciousness or to experiencing life more than we experience it now, which is what I think takes place. That's the way I view it. What if you pick up on your level of maturity there where you left off here? So it's, I think it's really important that we grow spiritually. I think it's important that we, that we embrace the kingdom, that we uh, absorb into our life everything we can, and we become uh, as much like him in, in recognition and assimilation as is possible. So in prayer, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I've kind of beat around the bush a little bit. I'm trying to say that in prayer, we come to a consciousness of our oneness of all that he is. And all that he is, we is. Not good English, but I think it drives home the point. Now, I can teach it to you, but I can't understand it for you. As my friend Darren Begley used to say, I can teach it, but I can't understand it for you. So I want you, I want you to begin to spend a little bit of time not, not asking God because prayer is not trying to talk God into doing something for me. That's not what prayer is. All those 11 types of prayers or 12 types of prayers I talked about last week all have one thing in common. They all come to God and they say, we got a need that we can't meet. We have a need that is beyond us, and we need you now to come do something based on what we think we really need. Prayers, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is the realization that there's nothing left for him to do. And I'm going to expand on that because that, that right there probably blew some of your minds. 
There's nothing left for him to do. That's what Jesus meant when he said, the Father and I are one. And Jesus taught us everything that the Father has, he said is mine. In fact, let me, let me read it for you out of the book of John. John chapter 3, verse 35. Here's, here's the consciousness that Jesus carried. And this is the consciousness that you develop as you, as you enter into communion with him. Stop all the asking. Stop the begging, the pleading. That's not prayer. That's, that's being a baby. John chapter 3, verse 35. Jesus said the Father loves the Son. Let me stop right there. Do you have it in the back of your mind that somehow the Father loves Jesus more than you? He doesn't. He has no favoritism among sons or daughters. Jesus, Jesus knew. He said the Father loves the Son. That was his, that was his testimony. He wasn't coming off of it. There, there was the knowing that he knew that the Father loved him. Now watch this. And has given all things into his hands. So Jesus is making two statements in that 35th verse. And they, they so grip together. First of all, he said the Father loves me. And because he loves me, he's now placed everything into my hands. Now, if he did that for Jesus, and he's not a respecter of sons, not a respecter of people, if he put all things into the hands of Jesus, and Jesus recognized that the Father fully loved him, then do you think he would do less for you? See, we come to him solely on the basis of our unity, of our oneness with him as us. And that's the way Jesus lived. Let me read you another verse, because Jesus wants you to get this nailed down in your thinking. In John chapter 20, John had some great insights about the fatherhood of God, the universality of the fatherhood of God. He said in John chapter 20 and verse 17, this is what Jesus said. <clears throat> he said, don't cling to me. This is right for the resurrection. I, I'll read the first part. It's not what I want to get to, but I'll, let me read it. He said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Now, here's what I want you to get. He said, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So if Jesus were sitting here this morning, if he were looking at you in your living room, if he were sitting here, if we were doing a Zoom with Jesus, he would say, I want you to know something. I want you to know that my father is your father and that my God is your God. There's no differentiation there whatsoever. Jesus, Jesus wanted the disciples to have a certainty and an assurance that there is one Father of all. Now, this is, the, the disciples didn't pray the magic prayer to get saved at this point, but he wanted them to know that his Father was their Father, and, and, and there was no separation there. Now, if we talk about separation, we, we have to look at what, what separated Jesus' life from the life of the disciples, or maybe the life from you and I are demonstrating at this point. And I'll just throw in here that what you're demonstrating now is not what you're going to be demonstrating a year or two or five years from now. You're going to be demonstrating a whole lot more because, brother, we're on a journey and it's, it's escalate, escalating quickly and it's good. What was it that separated Jesus in his actions and activities from the disciples and maybe from some of us today? The only difference, and he, he hit it in that third chapter, 35th verse, and this 20th chapter, the 17th verse, the only thing that made Jesus different was a word called realization. He had a, a realization of who he was, who the Father was, and the union that they shared together. 
Let's just call it an awareness. Let's call it a consciousness. Let's call it Jesus' perception of divinity. That's the thing that really got him in trouble. When he confessed to being the son of God, the religious people wanted to stone him because by saying he is the son of God, he was making himself equal with God. Now we don't put that, we don't put that much weight on it, but that's the weight Jesus put. And I think that's the weight that he's trying to put on that concept so that we can walk, listen to me, listen to me, so that we can walk in the same realization, the same level of consciousness, the same perception that he had, and we can know for sure that he is our father, that he loves us, and he's placed everything into our hands. All right, over in, in John chapter eight and verse 29, let's read, let's read one more verse real quick before we move on. John chapter eight, verse 29. I'm trying to elevate you this morning. I'm trying to raise your sights a little bit this morning. John chapter 8 and verse 29. He said, and he who sent me is with me. The Father hasn't left me. Now there again, see, that's a, that's a realization. That's a perception and a consciousness that Jesus had. Do you have that awareness and perception this morning of what he says in that 29th verse that the Father sent me and is always with me? He hasn't ever left me. Do you have that perception this morning. This is the realization that you and I have got to come into. And we, we, we come into that realization when we pray like Jesus prayed, which was not to pray for stuff, not to pray for things, not to pray to have our needs met. It was to commune with the Father, to share intimate ideas, to, to come into realization, to come into to unity, to come into oneness, to come into harmony, that the two of you could be as one. He says, and he who sent me is with me and has not left me for I always do the things that please him. Can you say that? Can you say that you always do the things that please him? Now watch, now watch what the wording of Jesus there. He didn't say I always do the things that please other people. He didn't even say I always do the things that please me. In fact, I do things that maybe don't please me or I don't think is right. That's not the perception he walked in. He said, I always do the things that please the Father. Do you remember back when we studied the book of Ephesians and we hit that fourth verse that in Ephesians, Paul said the revelation of Paul was that we, before the foundation of the world, were ordained by God to walk before him blameless and holy in his eyes in love. The Father has always seen you blameless. The Father has always seen you holy. Without, the Father has seen you in perfection. That's the way he sees you. So when Jesus said, I always do what pleases the Father, I don't think he was making a statement about his personal behavior. Jesus wasn't into behavior. He was into how the Father saw him. And so when you come into communion with the Father, your eyesight changes. The lens through which you view shift. Listen, this will change your life. You begin to see you like he sees you, which is always pleasing to him. He said, son, you're always with me. Jesus, everything that I have, you have access to. This, this is a full recognition by Jesus, which enabled him to demonstrate his authentic identity, which was divinity. He knew that everything was placed into his hands. Do you have that understanding this morning? If you do, if you do, he, he, he lived in and ministered out of that out of that unlimited resource, 
I'm learning to do that. I'm learning not to look at the checkbook, not to look at the back balance. I have an unlimited resource. If he's placed everything into my hands, it's like this. If I put a million dollars into your bank account, a million dollars, and you're down at the corner and you see somebody who needs 10 bucks, and that 10 bucks will stop their electricity from being turned off, or that 10 bucks will finish off the groceries that they don't have the money to buy, would you give the 10 bucks? You say, it'd be nothing if I could have a million dollars, that'd be nothing to give somebody 10 bucks. You have more than a million dollars. You have all the resource of the Father at your disposal. That's what he told Jesus. This is what Jesus lived out of. So in that intimate time of communion, when taxes came due, the Father said, Jesus, I'll tell you how to pay the taxes. You go down, send a guy down, and the first fish that he catches, you bring it back and it'll have the tax money in its mouth. That's being pretty sensitive. See, we have not developed that sensitivity. We can, we will. I tell you, we will. We're coming there, we're getting there, but that's how Jesus lived. He knew who he was. He knew what the Father had put in his possession, and he wasn't bashful about living out of that totality of supply. Now, if you, what you believe you is reflected in the way that you pray. I can be with somebody for 15 seconds and I can tell you exactly how they believe, how they see the Father, how they see themselves, how they see others that are around them, simply by the way that they pray. Prayer is the assurance of truth that has been established within us. Prayer through communion with the Father is going to reveal some things to you. It's going to reveal to you the direction to take. It's going to reveal to you the truth. And when it reveals the direction and the truth, then what's left for us to do but respond? We are responders. He is the initiator. So when we come into communion with him, most of the time we're quiet, we're silent. He does the talking, we do the listening, we do the responding. He speaks to us, he shows us direction, gives us truth, draws our heart to him, and we respond to that. So in, in, in prayer, here's what I'm saying. In prayer, the only purpose we have is to align our consciousness with the consciousness of the Father so that the two consciousnesses become one. That's how Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. There was only one will. It was the Father's will. Jesus, Jesus told the disciples one day, he said, guys, come here, I want to tell you something. He said, I don't want you to take any thought for your life. He said, I don't want you to give a second thought to what you eat, what you wear or where you're going to live. Do you know why Jesus said that? Do you know why Jesus told him that? Do you know why Jesus tells us that? Because he knows that's what occupies most of our prayer time. A concern about what we're gonna, what we're gonna eat, where we're gonna live, what we're gonna wear, how we're gonna pay our bills, how we're gonna live our life, how we're gonna make up for the shortages that would uh, appear. And then we get no answer to that and we get discouraged and think that it's all futile. I want to give you a newsflash from heaven this morning. God possesses nothing that he's withholding from you. There's not one thing that God's withholding this morning. He withholds nothing that he possesses. Everything that God has, he gives to those that have understanding that it might manifest. We have been praying what James said amiss. And because we've been praying amiss, We've looked at prayer, we don't even want to get involved in it because it doesn't accomplish much. To think that prayer 
Listen to me. Look me right in the eye. To think that prayer is going to twist God's arm, to think that prayer is going to make God do something, to think that prayer is going to make God drop it off at your doorstep special delivery, to think that prayer is going to make him speed up or do something that he didn't intend on doing, that's foolish. As Jesus embraced his divinity and as we embrace our divinity and demonstrate it, he never prayed for anything for himself. The more you demonstrate what he has internally placed within you, and you become totally conscious of it. And the only way I can tell you that, it's, that it has transpired for me is silence and thinking and meditating and being in his presence. The more that you understand, the more you demonstrate your days of praying to beg God or plead for God to meet your needs, those days are over. If we'd have been Jesus, Jesus never prayed for those things. You cannot find one place in the gospel where Jesus said, Father, I've got needs that are not being met. Jesus, we got a payment due on the donkey. We can't make it. Jesus, uh, Father, uh, Judas's bag is about empty. We don't have enough money to go in town to buy food. He never prayed that. If we would have faced the pressures that Jesus faced, the throngs that, that thronged Jesus, the needs that that he was confronted with. You know what we would have done? We'd have called the prayer group. We'd have called the prayer chain down to the church and said, guys, you need to get in prayer. I've got so many things coming on me at one time, I, I don't know what to do. Never one time did Jesus call the 12 together and say, guys, let's get around this campfire, let's hold hands, and let's believe God that he's gonna move on our behalf. Jesus never one time got the three together, Peter, James, and John, and said, guys, look, you know, we're having a big meeting tomorrow. Let's, let's just uh, uh, ask God's presence be with us. Let's ask that his presence just fall on us, that we can know that he's, he never prayed that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a bunch of junk. Did Jesus pray? Absolutely he did. Jesus got alone, and you know what he did? He entered into the communion with the Father. He entered into that intimate relationship he knew that prayer's purpose was to take his consciousness, Jesus, the man, his consciousness, and align it with the Christ consciousness, which is the consciousness of the Father. Understanding that the Father had fully already given him all things, that's where he came from. That was his point of beginning, was that the Father has placed everything into my hands and is withholding nothing from me. So prayer is not to name it or claim it, it's not to holler, it's not to shout, it's not to beg, plead, tarry, travail, any of that stuff. Toss that stuff out the window. I'm not against it, doggone it, I'm not against it. I understand people do it, but it really does not avail much. I did it for years, guys, and I can tell you that not much result, if any, ever came from it. The purpose of prayer is to acknowledge and realize and agree that all that the Father has is yours. And to remain in that position until you know that you have it. Until you know you've got it. I mean, think about it. Where would God go? Peter said that he has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Are you tired of me reading that verse, quoting it? Given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So let me ask you a question, serious question this morning, really. Where would God go to give you what he hasn't already given you? Where would God go to give you what you don't already have? 
If he said that he has given you all things that pertain to life and God, where, what warehouse is God going to go to and stock up and bring to you what you don't already have? The infinite being that is within you, the God likeness that is within you, that consciousness says everything that the Father has is mine. Paul said it like this, brilliant. Philippians 4.19, Paul said, my God will meet all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Those riches in glory, brother, those are deep pockets. Ask 10 Christians to quote that verse, and you know how they'll quote it? My God shall meet all of my needs because they look at their life and they see a myriad of needs. You don't have needs, you have one need, and that is to tap into the source of all things. There's one source, a lot of different channels, a lot of different channels. It can come to you a lot of different ways, but I'm telling you, the only need you have is to tap into the one source. That's the only need that we have. Now, how, how have we lived? How have we prayed? And there's no other area of life that is affected more by appearances that pull us into a dimension where we judge for our stuff, the, need, the stuff that we need to pray for. And it's all about our perception, what we see, what we hear, what we sense, what we feel is going on around us, right? Needs, needs come packaged in pressures. Have you noticed that? And those pressures start pushing on us. And so we start praying out of the pressure. And the, listen, here's what happens. A pressure's pushing us. So we get down and we say, Father, I, 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 please help me. You got to do something here. I, I, I don't have it. You're going to have to supply this for me. And we're under great pressure. And that pressure then causes us to act. We pray, but then we act. And the actions that come out of pressure are flesh efforts that create flesh results. And we dig the hole deeper that we're in. So we take from here and we give to there, or we do something crazy and foolish and stupid that we know we shouldn't do, but we do it because of the pressure. And then we just doubled our problem. If we're gonna embrace our divinity, if we're gonna pray like Jesus prayed, and be as he is, then we've got to get rid of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have got to cut that sucker off at the roots and throw it on the fire, get rid of it. Here's why. We judge our current condition and we're taught to pray how it appears by circumstances. When you look back at your life, can you see that? I, I can see it plainly. I remember times in the church, man, it was really tight financially. We, you know, the building payment was, was a lot. And we had to make a building payment every month. And, you know, we were struggling and fighting. And you know what? I spent my time praying for those needs to be met because that was the pressure of the circumstance. I didn't, I didn't realize what I'm teaching you today. I didn't see it. Nobody taught it to it. I didn't know that everything the Father had was already, already mine. Or I would, have take, I would have postured myself totally different. Paul said like this. Paul said, we don't look at the things that are seen. He said, we look at the things that are not seen because the things that are seen are temporal. They're temporary. They're subject to change. They're this way today. They're that way tomorrow. And that's what keeps us praying in circles. And it keeps us running in circles, praying different ways, different weeks, different days, depending on what we see. Those things that you see, listen, the things that you see war against the things that you don't see, but have been promised, have been 
better than promise, have been deposited into your life. When Jesus said, everything that the Father has, he's given to me, that was not a promise. That was a statement of fact. That was nothing he had to receive by faith. That was a statement of fact. Everything that the Father has is mine. You can say it as a statement of fact. You don't have to hope and believe or pray and fast for it. It belongs to you. How, what did Jesus teach us? He, teaches, he taught us, he said, look, guys, this is the way you demonstrate the kingdom. This is the way you live in a kingdom. You seek first the kingdom of God. And when you seek the kingdom, you seek the king. You seek the king himself, the one who created it all. That's where your consciousness is. See, that's what he's talking about, the communion. That's, that's the communion, the seeking the kingdom. And he said, when you do, then all these other things are going to be added to you. So we spend all our time praying about all the other things that we want to be added to us. And we neglect the main thing, which is the main thing, the communion with the Father. You see, you see in, 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 in prayer when we commune, it's mostly listening from within. It's setting all judgments aside. It's setting appearances aside. And you get yourself in neutral gear. When I, when I come into that time when I'm going to say, Father, okay, let you, and I, let you and I shut it down for a few minutes. You and I need to talk. I just, I, just, I, I, I just want to be around you. I want to hang out with you for a little while. And that's the way I look at it. I want to hang around. I like to hang around the Father. He's, he tells me things. He reveals to me. Uh, it's the way I get most every teaching that I do is just from hanging out with him. And he begins to show me things and I write it down and then I come over and put some scriptures with it and get it ready and it's built me up and I hope it builds you up. That's the way that it works. See, did, did Jesus panic? Did Jesus succumb to pressure? He never did. He could sleep in the back of the boat. The only storms that you have victory over are the storms you can sleep through. And when, you, when you're in that communion with the Father, I'm telling you what, he's going to give you a peace that passes understanding. Doesn't matter what the doctor says. Doesn't matter what the people down to the church say about this new stuff you're believing. You love Jesus now more than you ever loved him, and the people at church are saying you're a heretic. That the, see, that's the nonsense of religion. You're, you're, you, you sense more of God working in your life. You're seeing more revelation. You're walking in a dimension you never walked in before. You're loving people like you never loved before. Change is going on in your life because of grace that you haven't had to work at. They've been effortless. And the people down to the church say you're an heir. That shows where they're coming from. See, that they don't get it yet. They will. They will. Their eyes are being opened. You're a first wave. You're going to be a light bulb to many of them. See, the more pressure you face, listen to me, listen. The more pressure you face, the more uncertainty that you're under, the more that you need to withdraw and pull within. And I don't, I don't mean navel gaze where you're trying to find out what's wrong with you. I mean the more that you begin to listen from within, the more that you begin to draw from that, that life that is within you, the more pressure, the more uncertainty, the tougher the situation, the more you need to pull from within. Every elevation of consciousness, every step forward in the kingdom, every step in spiritual development, begins within. It begins with this prayer of communion and that changes you internally. I, I'm cha I have changed so much more internally than what I've been able to express externally, but the change externally follows the changes that take place internally. Have you ever seen things that you just know that you know that you know is true, but you can't demonstrate it, you can't even explain it, you can't articulate it, but you know inside is true? See, that's 
that's that's where it's going on for you. That's where the change is taking place. The the outward, the fruit, the fruit's going to grow, but the root now is beginning to feed. It takes time for that that sap to flow to the outside to demonstrate. There's an actual marriage that's taking place in the kingdom right now. It's it's a it's a wonderful, glorious marriage, and it's coming through this communion. You're coming to a, a realization, and you're experiencing what we're talking about. And it's a marriage. Listen, it's a marriage of grace and power. When grace and power come together, the Father is a, is a, is a God of grace and he's a God of dunamis. He's a God of great power. And that's what he deposited. Jesus operated in the authority, the exousia, the authority and the dunamis, the power. And he was a man that was full of grace and truth. That's what John said. Jesus was full of grace and truth. When grace and power marry, there's a kingdom demonstration. Grace is just the acknowledgement of God's favor. Sometimes the best prayer you can ever pray is thank you. Thank you. I sat out in the back of my house this last week, and I just said, thank you, God, for this. For this, I, this is nice. This is better than anything I ever thought I would ever live in in my whole life. I never thought I'd have a swimming pool, and it's got a cage over it. Bugs don't get in. Leaves don't get in. I mean, he set it up for me. That's his favor. It's... It wasn't, it wasn't my efforts. He made it happen. He just brought it. He brought it to me. I wasn't, I didn't go out looking. He brought it to me one day. And his power, his power is the ability of God that is expressed on our behalf apart from our efforts. David should have never taken down Goliath with a slingshot. It was beyond, it was beyond his efforts. It was a God thing. Moses should have never been able to part the Red Sea and take the children of Israel over in dry land. That's the power of God that worked on Moses' behalf apart from his effort. <clears throat> but, to, but to get in that, you have got to cut that tree of the knowledge of good and evil down that is, that is, that is distracting you. That's taking up your prayer time, your meditation time, your father time. You're not communing because your mind is full of that static. And that's why you're not hearing. You got to clear your mind of that static. This year, I told you, you're going to hear the voice of the Father more clear than you've ever heard it before. And it comes as we clear ourselves of the static. Okay? So we're coming back to this tree of life as our source. And we've taken the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've totally abandoned it because... Grace and power don't come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Grace and power come from the tree of life. It's his life that flows through us as us. It's our life as his life. It's one life together. It's that, connect, it's that connection of communion in prayer that'll cause truth and direction to come to us apart from the natural seeing of the eyes, the natural hearing of the ears, and the natural perception of the circumstances that are going on around us. David is a great example. David spent hours and hours, weeks and months and even years just in communion with the Father, making up songs. He learned to play harp, make up songs to the Father, just communing with him, just having fun in his presence. And out of that, he killed a bear and a lion. Think about this. He, he as a teenage boy, killed a bear and a lion, grabbed it, grabbed it, grabbed it by its mane, the, the scripture says, and killed that bear and killed that lion. Now, when he came to the Goliath, I, I don't know how big and bad Goliath was, but I'll assure you he was not as big and bad as a bear and a lion. 
So when David looked at Goliath, he goes, this is nothing compared to the bear and lion. I've, already, I've been down this road before and I, I know who I am. I know, the, I know the grace that the Father has given me, the favor that is on my life, because I could never kill that bear. I could never kill that lion by myself. And I know the power that he's infused me with. And that grace, that favor, and that power that he demonstrates through me is going to bring a kingdom about that everybody in Israel is going to see how great God is. So he got grace for direction and insight to pursue. And he got the power that was way beyond his teenage years and with it, God served him up two side orders of, of courage with absolutely no fear. Probably the most famous Psalm that David wrote is Psalm 23. I love that Psalm because it shows, it demonstrates so clearly this grace and power marriage that's coming. And I don't want to read that Psalm, however, till you understand that this all came to David through the intimate time that he spent with the Father. He wasn't, he wasn't praying prayers of supplication or intercession. He wasn't wailing and travailing and crying and begging and pleading and squalling and telling God how bad he had it. And if you don't come do something for me, I'm just going to parry. He didn't do any of that stuff. That's all religious. That's, that's phony baloney. It's what we've been taught. And I understand, I know, I understand that. I did it sincerely. And maybe you did it sincerely too, but it was sincerely goofy. Looking back at it, it was, it was sincerely messed up, jacked up. It really was. There's a better way to do it. And it's when he works through you as you. See, I used to live for Jesus. That's a hard way to live, man. You're always trying to please him. Then yeah, I, I lived a life where Jesus lived through me. That's where I make, want to make sure my vest was clean. I'm doing everything up to order. That can get exhausting too. But now I've come to the realization that as he is, so am I. That his life is my life. My life is his life. There's only one life in the universe. It's the, it's the life of the Father. It's the Zoe of God. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul. And that was never retracted from us. Every breath you take is an acknowledgement. I'm divine. I have an identity as divinity, and every time you exhale, it's releasing that life of God that you have within you. And that's what David walked in. So I want to read that 23rd Psalm, and I want to show you the grace and the power that's demonstrated in that Psalm. And I picked that Psalm because we all know it. You don't have to think too much about the writing of the Psalm. You can listen to what he's actually saying. So let, let me just come through this for you if I can. Psalm chapter 23, Psalms right after Job. Psalm chapter 23, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the whole thing. And I, 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 what I'll do is go through it verse by verse. All right, notice what he says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. That, look at the grace there. That's a great statement. The Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, I got one source. I don't have a bunch of shepherds. I have one shepherd, one source. And he said, that one shepherd meets every need that I have. I don't want for anything. Don't want for anything. I got to tell you, I'm sitting here today as a man. I don't want for anything. Every time that I think a, a need is coming up, you know, a need, a need is one thing, but a want? <laughs> there may be, maybe your needs are met, but you got some wants. I'm telling you something, there's nothing I want. It comes Christmas or birthday. I don't want anything. There's nothing I need. There's nothing. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Do you know why? Because when God moves on people, people bless the ministry. People bless, bless what we're doing. 
And if he doesn't move on them, it doesn't happen. I don't get on here and beg and plead for money and tell you that I'm going to have to no longer do the digital cathedral or Wednesday night if you don't if you don't help with the expenses of the editing and the filming and the YouTube setup and all that stuff. I don't. I never say a word. But God moves on people. I have a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and I don't want. I shall not want. That that is totally a grace a grace statement. Only thing a sheep can do, yeah, you can't do for yourself anyway. I don't care how hard you try, you're never gonna be able to do enough for yourself as yourself. The only thing a sheep is good at is getting lost from the flock. That's why he needs a shepherd. When you get dislocated from the flock, he needs to go out and take his, his staff and wrap it around you and pull you back and take you where you need to go. Only thing a sheep can do is, is wander off and get lost. Sheep can't provide for itself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a, that's a tremendous grace statement. Now watch the grace that he goes on to say in verse two. Psalm 23, verse two. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. Man, that's, that's grace. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying that he fills my life with peace and tranquility. I don't have to sweat anything. I rest. I chill out. I don't have to panic. I don't have to look at who's the president or what's going on in the government. I don't have those things I'm not worried about. He takes care. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, does that mean, oh, look, don't get all bent out of shape. Does that mean I'm not aware of what's going on? Of course I am. I have opinions and ideas. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, I don't need to be stressed about anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. All right, that's grace. All right, he continues on with the idea of grace in verse three. And he says, he restores my soul. Those times that I get afraid, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, when you get afraid, distraught, you get upset, uptight, things have, you've fallen off the edge for that day. He restores it. He brings it back to where it needs to be. He brings it back to dead center. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me there. He takes me down the right road. He takes me where I need to go for his righteousness because that's who he is. That's the way that he lives. Now watch verse four. Verse four and five, he says, now this is the power that's marrying to that grace. And this is what I wanted you to see. I wanted you to see the grace married to the power because what's going on, now listen, you've had a handle on grace. We've had some deep revelation on grace. Now it's time for the power to begin to flow. And the power will begin to flow as we come into that place of communion with him and let him lead us, guide us, charge us, let him fill us to the very brim. And as when he gets you to the brim, he's got a way of expanding your capacity so that there's more to fill, right? You'll never get, you'll never be over, overflowed to where he can't fill some more. So now watch the power that begins to happen because he's recognized the Lord is his shepherd. He does not want, he's, he's, he's living in tranquility and peace. He's not stressed out. His soul has been restored. He's led in the right ways. Now watch what happens. This is the power then that begins to take place. Verse, verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You can't walk through the valley of the shadow of death by yourself and not fear evil. But I'll tell you what, if he's walking with you, if you recognize the working of the shepherd in your life, you can walk through. And notice he said, walk through, don't camp out. 
I've had people uh, that I've pastored that camp out in the valley of the shadow of death, almost to where they enjoy being there and they enjoy the little uh, pats on the back and the pats on the head and the, and the attention of people when they're in that valley of the shadow of death. You know, they're being, it looks like they're being destroyed and they just, they never move out of that valley. You're not supposed to camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. You're to pass through it, not fearing any evil, knowing that he's with you. Can you know that today? That's power. Even when it looks the darkest, we know that we're not walking through that situation by ourselves, And that's the, guys, that's the power of the communion with him. You never get that from prayer. But the communion ties us to him so tightly that we know that there's nothing that we go through that he's not right there going through it with us. That is a very comforting fact. When you go to, to the doctor, go to the hospital, you're going under the knife for surgery, you're not going under it by yourself. He's there with you. When you walk through that valley, he's standing right there. And you, we need to proclaim that. That's the unity. That's the oneness. That's the, that's the life that is his life and his life, our life. And you can't separate the two. He doesn't push you off to the side and say, you're going to have to go through this by yourself. I'm sorry. I've, I've got a lot to handle today and I can't be with you. No, he's always with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort you. You can walk through that situation comforted. Because his rod and his staff, they comfort you. you. Need to be aware of that. And that that's what that's what comes when you spend time with him. Not begging, pleading, squalling, bawling, travailing. When you just spend time with him, hang out with him. Let him rub off on you. Let his love fill every pore of your life. Be consciously aware of that. Be consciously when you when you sit down, just clear your mind. Put yourself in neutral gear. I'm not I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just letting him work in me. I'm letting him mold me. I'm letting him put me on the potter's wheel and just shape me the way that I need to go. Then then he says, look at the power that goes on in verse five. Verse five. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Your enemies want to rip you off. Your enemies want to steal from you. Your enemies don't want you to prosper. He says, he prepares a table before me. <laughs> I like this. In the presence of the enemy. The enemies are seeing you blessed. The enemies are seeing you with more than enough. The enemies are seeing you with adequate provision. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I've got more, I've got more than enough, and it drive, is driving the enemies crazy. I got people that that are in my religious background that are seeing my life now, and you know what? It's driving them nuts. <laughs> they thought I was gonna fail, fall. Um, I, I won't go into all the junk that I've had told me that's gonna happen to me because I'm a heretic. I didn't fit the form anymore. But it's been a lot. But you know what he's done? He's blessed me, and they've seen it. And you can't, when somebody's blessed, you can't deny it. You can't put it, you can't put it uh, on the table to say, well, it was luck or the whatever circumstance. No, it's him blessing you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy, and your cup runs over. All right, so there's two verses of power. There's three of grace, two of power. Grace always gets the last word. Grace always gets the last word, and it gets the last word in this 23rd Psalm. Watch this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I love that wording. You don't pursue grace and mercy. They follow you. They pursue you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Well, all the days of my life, I don't have to sweat it. I don't have to sweat it. Grace and mercy are going to track my behind down. 
I'm not a God chaser. God chases me. And he found me, and I'm so glad that he found me. Put his hand up. Uh, isn't it good to be pursued by the Father? Isn't it good to think like you don't have to chase after him and beg him and plead him to come to be where you're at? But he has come to you just like he came to Adam. Adam followed up and God went looking for Adam. God wasn't mad. He wasn't angry with Adam. He went looking for Adam, reached out to Adam. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Oh, I like that, all the days of my life business. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. You know what the house of the Lord is? It's you. You're the house of the Lord. I'm going to dwell in this house. I'm going to, I'm going to go in where he is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be consciously aware of him. His presence is where real prayer takes place. And that's in communion. That, that presence of verse 6, where he says, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's saying, I'm going to be in the presence. I'm going to be, that's all I need to worry about, just being in his presence. When you're in his presence, verses 1 through the first part of that sixth verse, they all keep functioning. They automatically keep rolling. They keep working, see? All that he did from verse 1 down through verse 6 comes down to grace getting the last word, which is I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm going to be in his presence. That's my emphasis. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. And when I do, grace and mercy follows me all the day of my life. I'm aware of it. I'm conscious of it. It's a terrible thing when, when the blessing of God are pursuing you, but you don't, you don't see it. You don't perceive it. It's because your spiritual senses aren't sharp enough because you haven't spent in the communion. He sharpens your senses. He, he sharpens your perceptions. He sharpens your eyesight. You see differently, right? His presence is available 24-7. I've learned something in my life right now. I'm just going to share a little personal thing. I've learned that when he wakes me up between three and five in the morning, I was waking up, I come through, why in the world am I waking up? I came to the conclusion that he wants to talk to me. He wants to show me some stuff because during the day, my mind is still too occupied with other things. So he knows that at between three and five, when I've been sleeping and wake me up, I'm kind of in that in-between zone and he can just download what he wants to download. I've got some of my best understanding in those early morning hours like that. I don't get up out of bed. I stay in bed. I just, I'm awake. I say, okay, Lord, right here I am. What, what, I'm open. I'm wide open to whatever you're, you're saying to me. I have no agenda here. I'm just wanting to hear. I'm just wide open to your voice. Speak to me. Tell me. He'll tell me something about what I'm going to be teaching. This whole, I got this 23rd Psalm that way. He's, he said, look, I'm going to look at that 23rd Psalm. He said, there's a marriage going on there between grace and power. And I'm going to show you the grace of that Psalm and the power of that Psalm. And if you'll tell people, if they will stay in my presence, just dwell in the house of the Lord, dwell in his presence, which you are the house. He said, I, I, I'm going to let him see that all the way. Verse 1, I'm the shepherd. I'll be the source. I'll walk through, through the valley shadow of the death. I'll bless them in front of their enemies till their enemies don't know what's going on. His presence is available to us 24-7. We are our, our conscious, our dwelling place. And as I simply commune in that presence, you know what? I'm chased down by his goodness and his mercy. Let's, let's do this thing. Can we do that? Uh, look, if you've got habits of praying in an old way, I'm not, I'm not talking you out of it. You know what I always say, don't believe me, you work it out. Remember, I can teach you, but I can't understand it for you. So if I've said some things that you say, I don't know about that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep wailing and travailing and begging and pleading. That's fine. I'm just saying, this, this is 
something here that you need to really get into and consider and try it. Try it, you might like it. His presence is awesome and he's always available in the time of communion where you didn't sense him before in the intercession or the corporate prayer. You know, it would come and go. There were, I mean, Jesus wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes in a corporate prayer meeting that we have in the Western church where people are down on the floor crying and bawling and begging and pleading. Jesus would have walked out of the building. That would have nauseated him. He never prayed or never thought that way and we shouldn't either. We're gonna learn a lot this year and we're on the right trail, amen? All right, my time's up, God bless you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for those of you that are doing something on a monthly basis. It really helps me to plan where I'm going, what I need to do. And it's a, it's a, it's a blessing, it really is a blessing. And what it is, it's like an encouragement to me that says, hey man, I'm over here in Timbuktu and you and I are on the same team together and I'm pulling for you and stay with what you're doing. Thank you for all the encouragement. The encouragement means a lot. Because a lot of times, you know, I'm, I, I don't have a church with people that are visible. Although I have to tell you, a lot of the connections I have with you, I feel really close to, and I like that. So you're my church, you're my people. Uh, I'm teaching, guiding. Sometimes I do some pastoring over there on Don Keithley Ministry. So whatever you feel God tells you to do, if he tells you to do nothing, do nothing. I'm not the least bit concerned about it. It's all good and it's all God. See you Wednesday night, Don Keithley Ministries page. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. And when, you're, when we're done, if you want to go down and, and make a few comments at the bottom, because a lot of people read the comments before they decide if they want to see the teaching, if they're new here and don't know exactly what it is. So your comments, not while this is rolling, but at the end, if you scroll down to the bottom, you can make some comments <clears throat> about the teaching. I'd really appreciate that. Share it with some other groups. Share it on your face page, your home page, if you're bold. Uh, and let's get the word out as far as we can get it. It's going around the world. I tell you, we're part of something really good, something big. God is doing a great work. And I'm excited about it. And I love to be part of it with you. You're a very special part of my life, and I appreciate it. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.